Hello and welcome back to Business of Film. This is episode number 12, a crafttruck.com podcast. My name's Jesse Eichmann, and for those of you that have been following the maddening weather here on the eastern seaboard, it was minus 25 just a couple days ago. It's warming up now. Now it's uh, plus 5. Next week it'll be minus 25 again. Who says global warming doesn't exist? Who are they? Anyway, this week on the Business of Film... We've got Lawrence Silverstein. Uh, Lawrence, uh, I've known him for a long time. Great guy. Tons of experience in the business. Started out in sales. uh, Built a company, Strategic Film Partners. uh, And then went on to be a producer director. So he's got a lot of knowledge from a lot of different areas of the business. And we get into it on this podcast. So thank you for listening. And we hope you and we hope you enjoy the continued saga over here at uh, at crafttrack.com. Uh, just to let you know, we're still rolling out our in the cut episodes, uh, which are our signature interview series with editors, and those are going out uh, uh, both on YouTube and on our website. And you can you know follow us on any social media device that you like. So we hope you do. And uh, that's it. So, hey, enjoy this podcast. Thank you for listening. And uh, i got to go to Parka. Hello and welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be here. Lawrence Silverstein. So uh, maybe you can tell our audience. I mean, I know who you are. I've known you for a long time. Full disclosure. I've known Lawrence Silverstein for a long time. But our audience doesn't. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can just take a minute and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the business and, uh, you know, who, who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, went to San Francisco state film school and came back down to Los Angeles and worked a lot, uh, on production. Um, and then eventually, uh, segued into distribution vis-a-vis independent sales. Uh, worked as an assistant to great independent, uh, film sales person and then, uh, you know, climbed the ladder there. Eventually had our own company, uh, strategic film partners for seven years and, uh, left that to pursue, uh, we produced a few movies during that time and, uh, left there to pursue directing, something that I've always had a passion for. That's great. Um, and, I mean, just you, you have an interesting background, which is, you know, you, you, you came from the sales side, then moved into the, the, the directing slash producing side. So you, you actually, you've taken a unique path to become a producer slash director because you're producing the stuff that you're also directing, right? Correct. So let's kind of just back up just a minute and start on the, the, the sales side of things. What were... You know, as you're now a producer, what were the the things that you took with your life as, a, I guess, as a sales agent into being a producer? What are the what are the you know the, the the takeaways that are allowing you to do what you do now? Well, I think what allowed us to be you know successful producers was knowing how the buyers thought and worked, and uh, eventually what the audiences were were watching wanting to see so from a marketing <clears throat> standpoint and from a uh, commercial standpoint I think we had a, a pretty 
solid uh, foundation. So what would you say, I guess, in, in, let's not go back in history too much, although, you know, wouldn't mind going back in history just for the, uh, I, I do like taking a historical look on things, but, you know, in the last, last four years, let's say, four or five years, um, what would be, I guess, maybe some of the cornerstone movies that you were selling? What would be the highlights of, of, of sort of the, the, the sales, the things that were on your, 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 your sales docket? I just want to sort of get an idea of what you were selling and how you were going about selling them. Well, we were, you know, mostly selling uh, independent films to foreign territories. Uh, we also sold to the U.S., but um, we mainly were foreign sales agents. So, and a lot of the movies that we sold, you know, maybe a lot of your listeners wouldn't know of because, you know, there's so many independent films made. Um, we did a movie called Ring Around the Rosie, which we sold worldwide that uh, Tom Sizemore was the star and Gina Phillips. We ended up selling that to Sony for domestic uh, and it sold out in the rest of the world and actually did really, really well. On, uh, on DVD and um, opened up against House of the Dead from Lionsgate uh, domestically and we beat them quite surprisingly. Uh, ended up staying on the charts of the video charts for 19 weeks. Um, we were really proud of. And uh, so I, I'd say, you know, that was maybe one of our biggest successes. That led us to produce uh, the sequel to The Cell for New Line, uh, which obviously we weren't selling, but we were... Um, we were the producers, uh, and then um, just a lot of uh, smaller pictures that uh, that foreign buyers uh, wanted to see and, and and you know give out to their uh, their audiences. So when you were doing, let's talk about Ring Around the Rosie because that's kind of an interesting. If we can kind of do break break that out into a little bit of a case study, what what was that movie about? What what was your log line on that? The way that we approached that film was we were we knew that the thriller horror genre was working really well at that time, and we received a script from uh, a producer. What year who, was this, uh, by the way? What, what, what year are we talking? Oh, this was early two thousands. Uh, no, yeah, mid two thousand. Um, 2004, 2005, something like that. Okay, we're going back a little a ways. Okay, yeah. Well, you wanted to get historical. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're doing historical, but this is good. Okay, well, let me, yeah. go, go ahead, go ahead. This is great. Let's look on IMDb and we can find out exactly <laughs> when it was. Um, but that came to us and then we were able to... Uh, 2006. To 2006, okay. according to IMDb. All right, <laughs> yeah. 2006. So, I mean, if you want to talk about a more recent film, we can talk about Free Runner and how uh, we how we uh, went about doing that. I, I definitely want to talk about about Free Runner, but I, I want to get to Free Runner. But continue with Ring Around, Around the Rosie because this, this is an, an interesting story. So, yeah, go 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 with this to start. Well, it's it's basically the same the same kind of uh, structure that we did with Free Runner, where we were able to sell foreign territories based upon the script and the cast to get, you know, roughly 40% of the budget. And then we had a private investor come up with the other 60% of the budget. And it was a low budget, you know, it was around a million dollars, roughly. And uh, we were pretty much, once we finished shooting, 
we sold uh, the U.S. to Sony, and that pretty much put us in the black. And then we were able to sell the rest of the foreign territories. So the the uh, investors did did really well in that picture. And can you? I guess the DVD and numbers, or did you did you ever see any revenue from from DVD? Or at that time, there probably wasn't really very much iTunes. I don't know. Was there iTunes back in two thousand six? Can you remember? There wasn't. There 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 was, but it was in a nascent stage. But the DVD business at that time was pretty robust, and we did see overages from Sony, which was which was really nice. Um, at that time, you know, DVD was was yeah was was kicking some butt. Um, it was right before uh, DVD started to decline. Well, here's an, an interesting question for you. Because you were in the sales side of it, and when we're talking about foreign territories, a lot of the time when you sell a movie to a foreign territory, you sell it for, I don't know, if it's some smaller country, maybe a few thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks, you know, if a larger territory, it could be the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But what can producers, what did you expect in terms of overages, if any, from foreign territories. Did you ever see overages come in from any larger or smaller territories or were your deals always such that, you know, one amount of money and never seen an, uh, an, another dime or, you know, <laughs> like what do these things look like at that? At, I'm not, I mean, just if you can kind of paint, paint a picture for, for how you went about those kinds of deals, I'd be really interested to hear your, your side of that. We always try for, for back-end uh, participation with the foreign territories. We generally don't do flats, or we try not to. Uh, whether or not we see overages, you know, depends upon how well the movie performs in, in that territory, and then how does the distributor report, you know, how well do they report? Are they reporting accurately? We have seen overages from foreign territories, mostly the larger territories, Germany, the U.K., um, but, you know, and then surprisingly, you know, Benelux, uh, a lot of times we'll see some overages, but, um, you know, we don't count on it for sure. Right. And then in terms of, I mean, so domestic would be the place where you would structure deals where you would hope to see overages on, you know, on, on the U S is that, would that be a fair statement? Yes, I mean we we expect usually to to see overages in the United States um, or North America in general, but we uh, we again we don't count on it. I mean we always try to get the largest MG that we can get, so that if we don't see overages, we can feel at least you know we uh, we got a fair price out of that territory. And I, I guess just because you were kind of connecting ring around the rosy to, to to free runner, might as well just carry on that 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 train of thought. Um, so free runner was the first movie that you did after, uh, kind of going independent, uh, as a producer director. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, that, that film started out as strategic film partners. Um, and then that was, uh, that experience was a really good experience. And then, you know, at that point I decided to, uh, try to pursue, you know, directing and, and producing on a full-time basis. So tell me about your experience getting Freerunner off the ground. Freerunner, it's a similar, it's a similar story to, to Ring Around the Rosie. We, um, we got a script from a, from a producer, writer, and uh, we bought it. We did some rewrites on it. We attached uh, talent, attached uh, 
to, to the movie, and then we were able to, to again, to, to get quite, you know, a few pre-sales based upon the material and, and the cast. And then we had, um, but actually for Freerunner, rather than just utilizing equity fully for the other part of the financing, we were able to get a tax incentive. So we used uh, Cleveland, Ohio as our, as our location, and you know, we utilized the Ohio tax incentive, which was, which was really good for us. And, I mean, I see Freerunner, we're up in Canada, I see it on my, uh, on demand here on the movie network. Uh, how did, how did, can you, can you, uh, are you able to talk about sort of how it did on the, on the sales side? It did really well. We sold out, uh, most of the territories and, uh, we, we, the U.S. was bought by Image prior to us, uh, making the film. Oh, that's great. We did a nice, yeah, so we were... We were looking at, you know, a really good scenario going into it. So, uh, and and did it, and how, how's it done internationally? Because you said, uh, and and kind of a secondary question to that is, uh, did the cast help you with it in your in your international sales? Because if I'm not mistaken, the cast is mostly professional runners. Yeah, well, the cast definitely helped, but. The fact that we were using real free runners and they were doing, you know, incredible stunts and we had a, uh, a demo reel of some of the guys that were going to be in the film and stuff that they had done. Uh, so we were showing that to the buyers and I think that was what really impressed them. Ah, there's, there's the secret nugget right there. You, 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 you forgot to leave out the gold there, Lawrence. The gold was the, the gold. The gold was that you, you you had a demo tape. Well, yeah. I mean, we always try to 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 have marketing materials for whatever we're selling. You know, if the stars have done, you know, uh, interviews or other films that they've done, or you know, we we always bring out those types of uh, uh, materials to help uh, market and sell the movie prior to making it. So can you talk more specifically then about what kinds of materials you found to be really helpful in your sales pitch? Like what are the types of things that, you know, those listening should be like, hey, you know, I, I need that. I mean, what are the must-haves? I think generally it's, it's cast, you know, and being able to show. A lot of times if you say a name, you know, people are, oh, yeah, I think I know that person. Or, or, you know, especially in our business where we're not utilizing A-list talent, but we're utilizing, you know, B talent or C plus talent where the name might not be immediately recognizable um, or faintly recognizable, but their pictures will be. So we always try to have, you know, stills from other movies that they've been in, uh, one sheets from other films that would excite the buyers. Uh, and uh, if we can, we'll, we'll build a little bit of a reel from uh, from these other pictures to show, okay, you know, this is this is the person and this is their acting and this is, you know, what you remember. That's really important. This is the person and this is what you remember. Um, it's funny because I haven't really heard... In fact, yeah, no, I haven't heard anybody say that they put together a reel of their, you know, C or B-plus actors, hate to categorize actors like that, but, you know, C or B-plus actors... Um, in that kind of way, take their other movies, chop them up into a reel, show them to a buyer because the buyer may not know who they are. Correct. Yeah, it, it really helps. That's a really cool idea. I think I might steal that from you. 
<laughs> in fact, I'm going to steal that from you. Uh, um, no, but it, it helps, obviously. You're in a particular position because you were in sales. So you know, as a producer now, I'm assuming you have these direct conversations with the buyers or do you engage with sales companies separately? Do you like as a producer now to kind of keep the sales in somebody else's hand or do you want to have continue to have those direct relationships? Well, I mean, I, I developed a lot of great relationships with the foreign buyers and the domestic buyers that I try to keep up with. Um, so I'm able to do my own sales if I, if I need to. But I, I've also developed a lot of great relationships with other sales agents that are friends. So I think it's, it's hard sometimes to wear too many hats and you have to let people do what they do. So lately, uh, I've been working, you know, if I, if I know a buyer really well, I might, you know, initiate a deal, uh, or, you know, if a deal comes rather easily, then I might complete it. But I would then turn it over to uh, a sales company that I trust and like to, uh, handle the, uh, the minutia. Right. And um, then the rest of the, the rest of the sales, because I'm not, you know, taking films to market. And I think it's important to have a, a sales company that can take the film to a market and, you know, you uh, sell the rest of the world, you know, the smaller territories. And it's really important, I mean, to sell out the world. Let's let's kind of peel that back away for a second because the idea of how much you sell before you make a movie and how much is left on the table after you make a movie, how do you look at that for the movies that you're now trying to put together? So are you just trying to sell maybe one or two territories and then keep the world open or just the United States, keep, keep the rest of foreign open. I mean, obviously there's no one way to do anything, but I mean, how are you thinking about presently, you know, packaging and, or not packaging, but, but financing your uh, films from a pre-sale or, you know, I, I guess, yeah, from a pre-sale perspective, if that's even possible right now for what you're Yeah. Doing. I mean, pre pre-sales have become increasingly harder to do. I think you need, uh, you know, recognizable cast and a genre that is working, you know, for, for that territory or, or multiple territories, um, to do the pre-sales. But to me, it seems like holding back territories at this time doesn't amount to getting much more, uh, once you've completed the film. I think if you can sell it before, I always try to uh, to anticipate what the price would be uh, on the back and try to get close enough to that because you you're you know you're risking not selling it at all if uh, if you make the movie and it, it doesn't come out the way you anticipated or if something's changed or the climate has changed because these films take you know as you know year and a half probably from from start to finish and a lot can change in that time um, so. Pre-sales to me, uh, if you can get them, you know, I'd like to take them. I mean, unless, and I think it's movie centric. I mean, if you're talking about a bigger picture, say for instance, like a lot of these, uh, a lot of independent, uh, movies now are utilizing, you know, almost A-list or they are utilizing A-list talent. There's, uh, they bring them in for, you know, maybe a short amount of time and, and sprinkle them through the movie. Uh, maybe that, having that, might bring you a larger sale, you know, once the movie's completed and you can show a trailer and you can have this person, you know, this guy, uh, throughout the trailer and, and they're popular, you know, maybe they, they, uh, spur a theatrical sale 
then I think, you know, holding back on maybe a, a couple of larger territories um, is, a, is a good idea. I think you could maybe get, get more money that way. But I think generally for the movies that we're all talking about or that we're all doing, you know, um, the prices are, are kind of what they are, whether you can get them before or, or after. They don't go too much further up unless the movie is just phenomenal and then you end up with a, a domestic theatrical and then the game is totally changed. The prices are what they are. Can we get into what they are? Like, what are the expectations in certain territories or like for a specific genre? So, but actually, let me back up one one step. You said for genres that are working, what are the genres in your mind that are working well right now? Action, thrillers. The, the genres that have worked, you know, I think consistently over the years are action, thriller, horror. Uh, and I think that they, they go in waves, you know, and I think it, it a lot of times it comes down to who's in the picture and production value over anything else. Um, I mean, this is, this is geared towards international sales and, and domestic as well. I mean, it, it'd be, it would be tough to sell a comedy in the United States, uh, even because everyone talks about comedy not selling foreign, you know, or, or non-physical comedy not selling internationally due to, you know, language, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but, you know, I mean, we're not making no one in this business, you know, in the independent films are making Adam Sandler movies, you know, obviously. So, you know, the, so comedies generally tend not, not to work so well. Uh, action, you don't need, uh, lang- action is a language all its own. Core is a language all its own. Somebody getting killed or stabbed, you know, you don't need to overcome that, that language barrier. And then domestically, you know, those are exciting movies. They're, they're energetic. They, uh, provide, you know, scares or thrills or, you know, that kind of excitement. So if you can invest stuff that you can show in a trailer and you can show in a one sheet. So I think, you know, these the genres come in and out in waves. So, I mean, horror could be saturated at a certain point and then go away for a little while and action is thing and then action, you know, gets saturated and there's too much and then horror comes back. And I think we've seen those waves in the last 20 years and we can, we can pinpoint them almost if we, if we really wanted to. And so right now we're in that kind of action thriller wave. It's kind of what I'm, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, felt for a while that there was just really a ton of horrors on the market, but I don't know if I, you know, personally feel like there are as many out there as no. there once were. There just that seems to be on the decline. I don't know whether you feel the same or whether I'm just imagining things. Well, I think now, you know, the, what's happened with, uh, with video, uh, and the, the fact that, you know, movies can be made by amateurs, uh, just as easily as they can by professionals with, you know, the, the, the equipment available now, you know, red cameras and Final Cut Pro. I think it's really changed the game dramatically. So, when you can have access to, you know, multiple horror movies with, you know, no names in them, all of a sudden, you know, they don't become, you know, there's no scarcity there. So, you know, the market becomes saturated. And I think that's what's happened uh, over the last maybe 10, 15 years. So for, let's say, an action movie or a thriller that's under 
I don't know, one and a half million dollars. What would be your... And you've got a, and I, again, like, I kind of hate to just be like, you know, so generic about the thing, but, you know, to a certain extent, you know, I, I miss, you know, buyers are going to look at a one sheet, they're going to look at the cast, they're going to look at the genre, they're going to be able to, you know, look at it as a product on their shelf. It's, it's a product they got to fill their, their pipeline, whether it's, you know, TV or video on demand or whatever rights they have, you know, what are the inside and outside ranges that you're looking at for, you know, these kinds of independent action thrillers right now, in terms from a sales perspective. I mean, can you can you kind of throw any light on that? Yeah, I mean, I think what it's come down to basically is cast. I think everything at this point is becoming cast dependent, and if it's not cast dependent, then what's the hook? Is it a creature? You know, creature movies still tend to do well if the CG is good. Um, you know, recently uh, a friend of ours uh, made a movie that's doing quite well called uh, Big Ass Spider. Yeah, we just interviewed and, uh, um, uh, the producer of Big Ass Spider. The awesome guy. Patrick Ewald. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, you know, then they had a good director in Mike Mendez, and, and they, they were able to, to really make a good movie, even though it was, it was lower budget. So I think that that type of... Um, that type of, uh, of 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 attack to to these pictures is is a way way to go. It, it, it was then, actually uh, it, it was actually Travis, but but he had said something really interesting on the point of casting, um, which I'd love to hear your perspective on. <clears throat> which is that when he's trying to cast these you know indie genre movies that he has, or that these ele- elevated genre films as he calls them, um, you know, that, that he has a heck of a time trying to cast them, that the casting actually becomes really quite problematic because A, it's tough to get talent for these kinds of movies, um, quote unquote, these kinds of movies, uh, you know, and uh, also, you know, we were just recently talking to a sales agent and she was saying that when it comes to cast, it's so subjective internationally, which kind of goes back to what you were talking about before in terms of being able to show the buyer who these people are, because a name, if it's a, in that kind of CB level of, of cast, you know, some buyers are going to go, yeah, I know that person. Some buyers are going to go like, yeah, they have no value, you know? So it's almost becomes completely subjective that, that whole, you know, a getting the cast and B the, the value that they actually have. Oh yeah. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's, it's completely subjective to the foreign buyers. I mean, you know, um, I have a story that when we were selling free runner, I had an Indian buyer in the booth, and uh, he was saying to me, "Oh, Sean Ferris Lawrence is so—he looks like Tom Cruise. He's—he's he's a, he's a Tom Cruise. He's so awesome. We should do movies with him in, in India, and uh, you know, he's the next Tom Cruise." And so I said, "Okay, well, what, what are you what are you offering for the picture?" He goes, "Oh, Sean Ferris will never work in India, Lawrence." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you know, it was like. He's saying one thing and then contradicting himself, you know, uh, a minute later. And I, so, I mean, it's, it's super subjective. And, and it comes down to the buyers, too, you know. It's not just what's working in the territory on a, on a, on a broad basis, but, you know, who's, what's working for that particular buyer, you know. So um, does that buyer know who Sean Ferris is? Do they care, you know. So, that again, it comes back to I had, you know, a full-blown um, – one sheet of Never Back Down, which Summit had done and done quite well with, uh, with Sean as the star. So 
you know, I say Sean Ferris is the star of the movie, and they go, who's that? And I show them the one show. Oh, right, right. That movie did really well for us. So, you know, it comes back to, like you were saying, you know, making sure that the buyers know who these these stars are, because it's not like, you know, you're very lucky if you're if you have Bruce Willis, you know, uh, everyone knows who that is, but the stars mostly that, that we're using in, in the elevated genre pictures, as you say, aren't necessarily household names by any stretch. Do you have trouble actually getting the talent that you go after? I mean, is it is the actual process of casting uh, difficult for you? And sorry, let me actually ask that question a different way, because casting, I feel, is always difficult. Um, but rather, um, okay, no, I lost my train of thought there. So let me just go back. To the question, <laughs> the question well, that I w- that I was going to ask you that I think is the the suboptimal question, which is, do you have trouble casting your movies? <laughs> you know, like because of the kinds of movies that these are. Well, I think that, you know, yeah, I think that most producers do because, you know, the agents and the, and the talent, uh, don't want to position themselves in lower budget pictures for fear that maybe they won't get the, the studio fare. You know, they don't want to become a B-lister or an independent, uh, you know, name. Um, so I think that, and then, and then it comes down to money, you know, how much are you willing or how much can you pay them? Uh, a lot of these, uh, actors are getting, you know, schedule F or, or perhaps even, even lower than that. Maybe they're getting scale. You know, I would say most of them probably are getting scale. Uh, and then you'll have one star in the movie who you can try to, to pay schedule F or, or more, you know, if it's in the bigger the, the name, the higher that you're going to have to pay, you know, but you see a lot of, former A-list talent that, you know, went for the money and now they're stuck in independent, you know, films and, and their prices go, uh, fall. Their prices fall further and further down as, as do the, as their star level. And we could, we could name names, but I would, uh, no, 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 <laughs> I no, 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 I don't want to name names. Uh, I don't want to name names. This we is... all know, we all know who they are. Yeah. This is this is not a Senate hearing. We do not need to name names. Uh, there, will be, there will be no blacklisting on this podcast. No blacklisting. Right. Um, yeah, and then I mean, and, and it's not just for the the stars. I mean, like a lot of times you'll have trouble casting, say, TV talent or you know uh, B level, you know, or up and coming uh, theatrical talent, where you know the agents and the actors think that their career is on a is, is on an upswing. And they don't want to stall it or perhaps even kill it by, you know, being in a genre horror movie. Right. It's a tough balance. Um, but, you know, you know, the question is, why are, why are these actors... Listen, actors love to act, right? You have a good material, then... You're gonna attract somebody that wants, you know. You're, you're gonna you're gonna be able to attract somebody. The question is, are they good enough for you know the, the sales side of what we're talking about here? Well, I think more and more, you know, um, what it all boils down to is is theatrical. You know, is the the, the, the talent wants to think that these films are going to go into theaters. 
Um, and they don't want to get labeled a video name. Uh, they don't like it when the films go straight to video. And, and honestly, most of these films, that's, that's the market. You know, it's video and video on demand now more than ever. Yeah, well, yes, uh, it, is, it, it's not just that it's the market. That's the model. Like, the, the model right now is, I mean, there are so many, and I, I mean, we're, you know, we, we, we've been chatting for a bit, and I, and I wanted to, to get you onto this train to get your opinion on this because, you know, with all these digital distributors that are out there right now, and there are, there are quite a handful of them uh, that, are, that are really good, and they handle tons of product, and they've got massive output deals with the cable channels. I, theatrical, kind of like who cares a little bit because you, I mean, with the exception of the, you know, the marketing that comes with that, but putting a movie out theatrically is really expensive. So on one hand, you could hold out for the, you know, the maybe less or suboptimal, you know, advance or MG that you might get from a distributor. Or you could work with, you know, the right, uh, the right digital or, you know, domestic distributor that can put it in all these channels, uh, you know, VODs and Walmarts and wherever, and, and, you know, and have it not do a theatrical, but it do just way better, you know, direct to consumer. Sure. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> and that's the model that the producers and the sales agents and, you know, obviously these distributors are, are looking at uh, and it works. But if in the case of talent, right. I think they're you know they're still stuck in this. If it's not theatrical uh, mode, you know, then it, then it's not worth anything to them. So, I mean, obviously, in, in reality, there's nothing is going theatrical unless it's a large studio movie or a mid-sized studio movie, or if it won Sundance, you know, or Toronto, and a Fox Searchlight picks it up, or the wine scenes pick it up or, you know, um, Sony Pictures Classics picks it up and decides to, to put up enough P&A to get it into the theaters. But you're still looking at, you know, not as many theaters and a quite, a, you know, limited probably return uh, on investment, um, you know, versus going straight to, to VOD or, or these digital platforms. So, um the theatrical game has just changed uh, to the point where I don't think that it's realistic to even think about that uh, in, in, in the types of movies that, that we're making. But going back to the, the talent, they, they don't think realistically for the most part. They're, they're still they're looking for that theatrical picture that's going to elevate them to, to the next level, to the studio level. Right, and that's a tough game to play because you're kind of promising... Well, you're always promising the dream, but that's kind of what you're, you land up promising, especially contractually. Sure. I mean, and even, and, and what's sad is that even films, you know, recently that we've seen with, uh, with larger stars, um, that are going theatrical, uh, from some of the bigger sales companies, uh, aren't performing at the box office. Right. So, yeah. The entire well, I, I mean, I, I can add, I could name off the top of my head several films that you know had huge stars. Uh, they are I don't want to say B style action movies, but they're really high level B style action movies with big stars, and they just kind of magically show up one day on on you know Netflix 
or on, you know, your cable channel. And, you know, they've got people like, you know, Bruce Willis or Pierce Brosnan and, you know, big names and just that you, you, if they were in theaters, you didn't know about it. Right. I mean, there's a lot of those pictures because, you know, the, uh, the stars are taking a payday. Um, you know, Bruce Willis could, can make a lot of money to, to be in a movie for, for a day. Uh, you know, um, so, you know, it's a gamble for, for the star. Is it going to hurt their reputation? But it's, it's also, it's a, it's a way for the producers to ensure, you know, a rather healthy, I think, return, you know, from, from the video and from the video on demand and also in the foreign territories where these stars drive sales. Have you done any real deep digging into all the digital kind of companies that are out there right now that are, you know, putting product out pretty much all digitally right now? Have, have you given that lots of thought or is that, you know, in terms of part of your, you know, how to finance your movie or is that just sort of... Sure, absolutely. But I think these, you know, a lot of them are at such nascent stages, I think, that kind that distribution model is still other than Netflix and iTunes is, is in a nascent stage. And I, I don't think that um the revenue from from those uh companies and those outlets um are what they will be, you know, maybe. And I think there's there's a saturation as well, I think because of the fact that they are releasing so many pictures, you know, you, you reach a saturation level that, you know, any one movie is going to be hard for that one movie to perform. Right. And so, I mean, do you do you believe in the model right now? Or just kind of, it, it's funny, because I was listening to a, um, no, I was reading an article last night on, uh, on Deadline, and it was the, it was the founder of TiVo, or the president, the CEO of TiVo, and what he was saying was that the music industry, you know, when it completely imploded, that, you know, they managed to kind of resurface and recreate itself into what is really a very interesting business model right now that is working. And, but the film industry and the TV business, it's held on to its old model, and even at, like, it's just, it's not... It's not crumbling as fast as maybe it should. It'd be almost be better if the whole damn thing imploded and you know had a rebirth. But right now, we're still holding on to the idea of windowing. We're still kind of throwing up, you know, the you know uh, the, the 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 boxing the boxing gloves uh, when Netflix comes out and says you know we should you know compress the theatrical window to go day and date. You know, theater owners are saying no, we still need to have our you know our three month four month exclusive time period. I mean, it's. You know how you go about windowing and selling and getting your product out there is just it's it's a big mess. Sure, and and, and for indies more so than than for the studios who are even um, experimenting with with the models that you're talking about. You know, um, I think it comes down to what what are they spending on prints and ads? You know, I mean, and the the larger the spend then the more you want to probably stretch out those windows to maximize the, the profit in each window. So, um, you know, the studios are going to, and the theaters are going to continue to try to, to, to keep those windows, you know, the way they are, um, uh, if, if they're big tentpole pictures. But, you know, for the studios to get the, the movies to, you know, uh, DVD, 
quicker, you know, while they're still in the mindset um, or in the minds of the, the, the audiences from the massive P&A spends uh, would uh, benefit them, but uh, doesn't benefit, obviously, uh, the theater owners. So that's what, where you're seeing that kind of uh, conflict. But for, for independent films, you know, um, obviously not going to theaters, but, but going immediately to, to video on demand or, or digital, other digital platforms, uh, how do you make your movie stand out? I mean, where do you spend your money? How do you advertise the picture to get it so that the most eyeballs are going to be um, watching, you know, downloading your movie versus versus another movie that where maybe they, you know, they have uh, names in the picture or some type of hook, you know, that's uh, that's driving um, audiences to to that picture. Which is, of course, the $1,000 question, the million-dollar question. How do you cut through the noise and cut through the clutter? It's it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. There's just so much product out there now. Right. And, and you know, and obviously, you know, the U.S., which used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 50% of, for independence of, of, of the... Um, of your gross revenue is now, you know, dropped dramatically. So you're looking at foreign for more and more of your money. And the foreign models, the for, a lot of the foreign countries don't have these digital distribution, you know, models uh, working enough in their territory. So they're very, very nascent stages. So the foreign buyers are years behind us, and they're saying, well, you know, they continue to ask how many theaters has this movie been in. So it continues to go back to the theatrical model, and I think... You know, if you talk to sales agents, they'll say more and more, you know, that the only movies that are really working or really selling are either high-profile name movies or theatrical pictures. Right, which makes the kind of the, the lower-budgeted genre movie with a B or C-list cast a tough sell. Unless you've got a hook of some variety. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost, it's not a question anymore for, for low budget movies with no name stars in them of how much will they sell for? It's will they sell at all? So when you say a no name star or a star that is mildly recognizable, because I think there's a difference, you know, somebody who's not, you've never heard of them or somebody that you can show, like you were saying at the very beginning, you know, the one sheet of other movies they've been in, they're, they're not the same thing. Or no, they're not. Yeah, but, yeah. but 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 more and more, they kind of are, you know, just because of the fact that, that that there's so many movies being made, and the market is so saturated with these types of of lower budgeted films with B, C, and and no name stars. The buyers have there's no scarcity like we talked before, so it's a buyer's market. They can pick and choose. Um, you know, what's the difference between uh, a guy who's a third, you know, name on a TV show or a guy who was a B name, you know, in a movie, in, in, in theatrical movies, um, you know, they're, they're selling for the same amount of money. I never asked you, or I did ask you, but we kind of hopped over it and just, uh, can you pinpoint a little bit of a range sort of your insight your 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 highs and lows for for the kinds of movies that we've been talking about on on a, on the foreign side or is that I, I mean I really, or am I, I asking really a loaded question so, 
And if I'm asking a loaded <laughs> question, you can say, Jesse, damn it, you're asking a loaded question. Can't answer that. Well, no, no, no. I mean, you're, you're asking really good questions, and I hope that I'm, that I'm answering them in a way that it makes sense. Um, but the, you know, because on, on the one hand, where you say the prices are relatively the same, but on the other hand, they vary so much. So I understand that that's kind of oxymoronic, but it, it, it's, it's true, you know, and you really don't know what they're going to sell for until you get them out into the marketplace. Are you bringing your films out... Uh, how how packaged does your project have to be before you decide that you want to bring out your movie? Uh, for pre-sales or for uh, completed pictures? Oh, no, for for for, for pre-sales. What do you what do you? Uh, I I don't think you can you can even begin to pre-sell a picture until you've locked in cast. I think more and more, and I think most sales agents will tell you that's the number one criteria. As we're wrapping up, uh, what are you working on now? What's next for you? I just directed a movie for The Asylum. It's a, kind of a, a revenge thriller with uh, some really cool action in it. Um, I just saw the rough cut. and We just finished the rough cut, and it's look, looking pretty good. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And um, I've got a couple other movies that I'm circling uh, for you know, just as a producer, and then um, looking for the next uh, project to to direct. What's uh, what's the name of this uh, this asylum movie that you did that you directed? They they don't have a name for it oh, yet. Okay. They're, they're trying to figure that out. <laughs> what, when's it when's it coming out? Because I, I want to be able to tell people, hey, you got to go see this movie, and at least point them in the point them in in point them at you. Go to. Um, or has I'm it not sure set? exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the great thing about you know now for me um, doing you know as a director for hire is uh, I don't have to worry about those types of things. Quite the shift in the career. <laughs> but, you well, know, the, it's funny because we spent <clears throat> we spent most of the conversation talking about you know distribution and sales, which obviously I have a you know a long background in and, and can still speak you know somewhat intelligently about. But uh, it's definitely not my focus, or hasn't been my focus for the last uh, year or so. so. Well, you're producing um, your own movie, so that's kind of that's kind of my aim. But like the, the, the name of the podcast is business of film, not business of directing. So if I talk, right. <laughs> if I talk to you about you know how do you direct your movies, what's what's the best way to you know deal with an actor on set? Although maybe that would have been a fun question too. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's a whole other yeah. podcast. It's a whole other thing. Right, right. No, I mean, I hope that I was able to, uh, to to give you good answers to your questions. No, it was great. It, it was it was really awesome. I mean, thank you, thank you very much for your time and for and for uh, for coming on the show. This, this has been awesome. It's been my pleasure.